podcast, you're having tea with Alice. It is uh, coming up to Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, and I think they're both on the same day this year. But I am not going to be having Christmas with my family. I will. I'm in London, <laughs> which is where I recorded this next podcast, which you will listen to uh, if you want to listen to it. If that's why you're listening to this, uh, the tea that I had was with Amy Haverska in the basement of a tea shop in Soho. It's a little bit noisy, but I think that the sound levels are decent enough. And I had a fascinating conversation with Amy. If you are troubled by descriptions of uh, family mental health issues, then you might want to skip out on this one. Uh, it's not particularly graphic, but it's a topic that I know is is um, upsetting for some people and particularly at this time of year when family is top of mind. I hope you're having a really good sort of holiday time. I hope your Christmas parties are not embarrassing uh, but are instead full of delight and connections with people and uh, that you're not spending time with people who you don't want to spend time with. It's not worth it. Don't do it. Life's too short. Uh, email me on alicerfraser at gmail.com or Twitter at alliterative. Thank you, everybody, who's been subscribing on the Patreon, giving giving me support in that way. Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. If you want to read my blogs as well, they're there. You don't have to pay for them except the occasional one, and that's usually for all subscribers who are subscribing for more than a dollar because I don't want to exclude people for the sake of money. If you can't afford a dollar to the monthly monthly subscription uh, for the exclusive articles... Send me an email. You probably need my help more than I need yours. Uh, so then email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com and let me know what I can do for you. Anyone, actually, at Christmas, ask me if if, the, if you think there's something I can do for you, let me know and I'll, I will do my level best if it's within my capacities and resources to do so. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I'll keep putting episodes out weekly through the sort of holiday break and new year. I'm... As I said, I'm not at home with my family, so I don't really have any commitments that would preclude me from doing that. Uh, I will, without further ado, let you get on and listen to the podcast if that's something that you want to do, if that's why you're listening. Thank you so much. You're having tea with Alice. I'm drinking a soy cappuccino. Well, yours sounds really nice. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a raspberry and vanilla rubos. Ooh, let's do a clink. Clink. Very good. And we're in Yumacha, aren't we? Yes, full of uh, what would you say, trendy media, trendy media types? Yeah, definitely. There's a lady behind us in like a fur coat. There's someone who looks like an elf in the corner. Pretty good work there on that. Oh elf yeah, hair. she's got that sort of slightly silvery blonde dyed hair, and she's pulled it back in that elven way that yeah, yeah Lord of the Rings sort of style. And all the chairs don't match here. Are you getting the sort of place it is, guys? Yeah, none of the chairs match. Uh, there's an elf in the corner. There's an elf in the corner. Uh, they've kind of got second-hand couches. It's it's good. It's a thing. It's, it's a, a thing. So you have to tell me, what's, so your podcast is about people come on, they talk about... Difficult ideas. Difficult ideas. Yes. It's more focused, isn't it? Because the yeah. visuals are removed. Yeah, I'm exactly a, that. I'm quite a podcast fiend. Oh, what are, what are your favourite podcasts? I'd say Raha Lesterpa. That's what uh -huh. the kids call it. Richard, you're Richard Herring's Yeah, Richard one. Herring's Leicester are Square right? podcast. Do you want to squeeze? Yes. Ooh, got sorry, I'm getting British a lady's charger, but it's right in the corner. Uh, your charger? Sorry, what are you... Oh, is it this one? There you go. Right. I'm plugging lady's charger. Thought, oh, is she going in for a kiss? She was getting very close. 
Um, yeah, I suppose so. Also, when you sort of remove the visuals, you can tell if people um, can string a sentence together and if there is something behind their thoughts. Yes. That's fine, quite interesting. A lot of people get by with sort of charisma or yeah, jazz hands, I think. I quite like Stu's one as well. well I love Stu's one. Stu Goldsmith, he's, he's quite, lovely. Yeah, he's great. It's quite, I'm quite, sort of quite good mates with him. So sometimes I find it, I'm like, did you tell me that? As I hear that on the podcast, is. <laughs> so I can never tell. Yeah, sometimes if I'm friends with someone, I can't listen to their podcast. Uh, yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? I find if when I have mates who are on TV, I can't watch them because I feel like I'm stalking them. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I sort of feel like I'm intruding on them, like watch, watching them at work or something. Well, you are watching I, them I at know, work. But but it's weird, isn't it? I, f- I feel weird when I'm about supporting people. Like I know some some like I know I should support people by watching their stuff. So a perfect example of this is I'm up on a series of young up and comer comedians on the ABC at the moment. Oh wow! Um, and it's a whole there's like twelve of us and they're going out every week and they're all up on iView now. But you, I'm terrified to watch it in case they're all heaps better than me. Oh, right. That's interesting. I think that's quite normal, isn't it? Yeah, So, but but it's like me watching them won't make them less better than me if they're better than me. <laughs> like, it's not, it's it won't change pre- the reality. But it's good to protect your ego, isn't it? Yeah, but is it? Maybe if I'm that, that below standard, I need to learn. Yeah, that's... I don't, like, well, I, I don't I think I do believe are. in failure, like... But I was always like, I could never stand to look at my school reports. I had to keep them in my bag for a week before. Really? Yeah. I, and oh I know that's God. not how you should be. You should like patiently work through your failures. I'm trying, I'm seriously trying to get better at failing and using failure as a, as a resource. There's this woman who's, uh, she's the columnist for the Financial Times. Oh God, I can't, I can't remember her name, but she does a column on the World Service every week that she reads out like that. That's a good her. voice. I like yeah. that voice. And she wants to call them about failure. And uh, it was great. She was talking about the most, when she looked back, the most productive times in her life were when she was failing the most. So she, when she was really going for things and getting knocked back for loads of different stuff, like she went through all the jobs she didn't get. And it was on the back of this Harvard professor writing an essay about how he's all his failures in his life. But he was obviously quite successful, so he could... From a position of being able to do that, and um, yeah, and she was at the time when she was achieving the least, or not fa- not failing as most. Was, sorry, not f- well, was not failing was when she had her children, so she was having a bit of a career break. She didn't fail at anything for two years. Yeah, but she also didn't do anything either. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things that is important. Like as a comedian, you only get to being good by being bad. Like you You've got to be really thick-skinned, haven't you? Oh, I'll tell you, actually, it's something interesting. Um, you were there the other week at Old Rope. Yes. But I love Tiff, and I always find that she's uh, really been through it with the comedy mill. Yeah, and she's brilliant. Like she's, I think Tiff is someone who's become really brilliant at comedy just in the last couple of years. Like She was always good. Yeah. Really sort of up to her game. Yeah. And um, I think she got lots of no's and... And I had this email from a promoter. So I do my own live booking, which I think I'm not going to do anymore because I, c- I stopped doing it because I had a live booker who made a few mistakes. And I thought, I'm not paying you to send me to the stand in Glasgow and I'm meant to be at the stand in Edinburgh. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's brutal. I know. Did you have a contract? 
Uh, no, we didn't have a contract. Uh, it was so fine. You always have a contract. Yeah, okay. I like think if you get a con- like seriously, if you're going to get a contract, just send it to me and I'll read it through and tell you what you shouldn't say Ooh. yes to. Oh, brilliant. Okay. I'm serious. Just do it. I just sent them an email going, I'm taking my travel expenses out of the your fee. Fair enough. And they were like, yeah, fine. But um, so anyway, what I do is I have a little spreadsheet database and I um, have like, I'll just give it to you actually. This will be very useful for you. I filter it. So it's got the city and it's got the name of the night and the booker and all this. So you can filter it by city. So if you're in Manchester, you can be like, oh, let's look at all the other gigs in Manchester to see if I can fill up my diary for those few days I'm there. And I have little columns of sent them an email with my roundup or sent uh, my, all my reviews to them for this year's Edinburgh. Yeah. Or had a really nice chat with him. This is what they're doing. Book this in. So it's like I can keep a track of where I am with people. So this one guy I hadn't, s- hadn't spoken to in a year. I would need that for holding grudges because I always forget when I'm angry with someone. Oh, my and God. And then I remember I like half, halfway through a conversation with them and I was like, I was meant to be annoyed with you. Oh, my God. I can hold a grudge so badly. It's one of my biggest failings as a human being. It's something I'm really trying to get over. Okay. I have got, I will take that grudge. I will taxiderm it. I will put it in a little glass <laughs> cage. I will store it in my cupboard of grudge. Oh, I'm terrible. Sometimes I'm halfway through a conversation with someone and I'm like, why do I think this person's a prick again? Well, I, th- I, th- I think I think um, my mum was good at it, but she also remembered everything about everyone's lives. Like, so she would oh. she would tell you about the the nuns and things who'd done her wrong in like primary school, and she could remember word for word what they'd said, which I think is probably not a great quality. But the flip side was that when you'd meet someone, you know, in the street who you'd met at the beach three years ago, she'd be like. Oh, and how's your grandson, Ivan? Is he still at that primary school? And you'd be like, how do you I'm just a bit had like that, that amazing memory? So th- I think it must be the flip side. I have a, a theory that every bad quality is attached to a, a good, good quality. quality. That's I've why you don't s- just get rid of it. Yeah, I've got a similar theory, which is your your greatest strengths are often your biggest character flaws. Uh, yeah, well, they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're exactly the same thing or the same root. So that's why you don't want to get rid of it because it's actually yeah. something good to be able to remember things yeah. in great detail and to be able to have your emotions attached to those things and not forget them. Yeah. Whereas I'm super vague. Super vague. <laughs> but to the point where <laughs> I won't I won't remember that I'm annoyed at someone. I said my boyfriend can't remember anything. I'm always telling him this and this. I need to do him a flow chart of all my friends and people we've met together. And he's yeah. like, which which Eleanor is it again? Is this Eleanor your friend? No, it's Eleanor Tiernan's, that one. Oh, which one's that one? It's like, the Irish one. You went to school with her. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were oh saying yeah, you were having a conversation with the booker? Yeah, and so I hadn't emailed him in a year. And uh, and I, I called him up, so I just call people if I send them an email, give them a call. And we had this long, it was really procrastinated conversation where he was just going, Who, like, where, what you, like, so what are you doing? Where are you in now? And I was going, well, you know, do Jean Gisley, Comedy Store. You know, this is where I am. Uh, and he wouldn't basically want me to come down and do 15 minutes. He wouldn't, but he was sort of being like funny about booking me. Apparently, he's a bit funny about booking people. Doesn't book many women, right? And I said, well, look, you know, there's there's a clip. It's got three applause breaks in it. You, uh, you know, you take the clip and see what you think, and just let me know, and I can cu- come down. And then he sent me this email, which was a total, a page-long critique of my act and why he wouldn't book me. From a, cli- from a clip that has got me booked into uh, weekends at the Comedia <coughs> and Jonglers and things. So, what I mean, if if you don't mind saying, what was his? What was the angle of his criticism? I didn't read. Do you know what? I didn't read it. I read the first paragraph and I went, oh, I just haven't got time for this. 
I just thought, I just didn't yeah. read it. And then I gave it to Tiff to read, and she was going, oh, well, this is really neggy and patronising. And, <laughs> and uh, she's for like, the listener, Amy just did some very good Tiff hand gestures. She does do, I, she she's does. a very good she's hand very gesture. very articulate with her hands. She's a hand talker. And so she sort of, I was really angry about it. And I feel that, and this is an overall thing for me this year, is that I uh, feel like we put up with so much crap as women in comedy. We do. I mean, I know we're not meant to say it, but we do, man. And I just feel like I'm... Well, the only reason that we're not meant to say it is because it's been said so often that people are bored by it. But it's pretty boring for us. Tedious. I would do. So fucking tedious. And I just thought, I can't imagine him sending an email like that to any men. I think it opened with the line, thanks for your persistence. Persistence, it's been a year since I last emailed you. I email everyone I don't work for every year. And that's what I do until I'm working for them. I just send them an email until they put me in. Don't hassle them. Um, So, yeah, it just really annoyed me. And I've been thinking, I feel like just sort of running out of patience. Running out of patience with that side of comedy. Not with the performing or anything or the other comedians and you know I love all, all the other comedians and that aspect of it but just the fucking grind business entertainment side of it, side of it where so that's what you were saying before you were wrestling with yeah this I've really wanted to quit this year like really I just thought why am I doing this to myself why am I what what is this sadistic thing that I'm putting myself through and well, I mean, it's interesting because I know that um, you and I did the same program out of university. Both of us went to New York and did scheme, <laughs> internship scheme. We were too old for that scheme. That's what it was. I think we did it and we, because we're about the same age, I think, aren't yeah. we? And I think if you'd had a job or a life or independence and you're herded over to do this shit job. And sharing a room with two other adult women, uh, just, I yeah. couldn't handle it. And being treated, yeah, it was that thing of... It was all the tax. It was all really dodgy. Do you remember this from working yeah, in the office? It was so weird. Like all the money we pay goes to Mountbatten's wife so or something. Both, all, both yeah. of us did the same thing, which was the people who we were assigned to work for, uh, we, we left. And so then they keep you in the office and try and find you another place <laughs> or don't, as the case may be. But in the office, you get to see the inner workings of the whole scheme. And it's a little dodgy. Yeah, really dodgy. I should bleep out the name. We'll bleep out the name. We'll bleep out the name so that... Uh, it sounds like... <laughs> we're not up for libel. But, uh, yeah. that yeah. was interesting. Uh, I think so... What, what what made you think of that then? Just what what was my trigger? Putting up with shit. Just putting up... This sort of... Yeah. Because both of us have decided not to put up with a particular kind of shit. Corporates world. It, yeah, the corporate world. Because it's sort of intolerable to me. I can't stand it. Like it just I, makes me depressed. Yeah, I can't not take it personally. The whole sort of sociopathy of the whole structure, the fact that money is more important than people in every way, every single day. Everyone is making choices that say humans are not important, money is important. I just can't do be doing the sitting in the office for 12 hours. That too, not that being able to just take a walk. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. Um, but that's on the small scale. That's just saying, you know, the work is more important than you are. Yeah, I guess so. Although I had worked at the BFI for years. Yeah. And that's the only... Sometimes I get a pang of, oh, mm. I miss the BFI. 
because I'm still sort of friends with a lot of my colleagues, yeah. my old colleagues. But the whole time I was working at the British Film Institute, uh, I f there was a feeling of I want to be m helping to make some art, not facilitate it. Yeah, I think um, that's the the terrible pain of people who are in arts ad administration is you don't do that unless you love the arts. And if you love the arts, you often want to be making it yourself. Yeah. It's Lots of frustrated artists. Yeah. So, yeah, this year I was really... I it's was like being uh, the lady's maid of a woman whose husband you're in love with. You're like... Oh, oh that'd be tough. I'm sure there's been an Ibsen, an Ibsen play like that. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, so this year I was just thinking about just quitting, really, which I'm not going to do because it's not in my nature. <laughs> just so big-headed. Just carry on. Yeah. Um, but that having that energy to sort of regroup and think you know what new way do i tackle this so i can get to where i want to be yeah and i think that's yeah well maybe it's a matter of getting someone else to do your live bookings again for a while yeah i think so leave it off your hands but i sometimes this is the thing it's like you talk to um bookers and it's always a bit when i think oh okay well i'll give i'll follow that up with a call because i've sent an email last time so Hold up the call, leave them a voicemail. And there's that moment of, oh, gritting your teeth going, oh, I don't know if they're going to be a cunt or they're going to be nice. And it's really 50-50. It's like... It's 50-50. And it's, they're like, oh, hello, how are you, Amy? And then you're like, oh, we see me. And they're like, yeah, 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 no problem. Let's get, you, get your diary out. And you're like, shh. And they just book in like 800 quids worth of work. And you're like... Oh, oh that's so easy. Yeah, yeah. That was so easy. You called the half an hour conversation with a guy who doesn't want to book you, and you're just like, I just want to get off the phone because if you don't want to book me, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to change your mind. Yeah. You don't need to send me a page long email critique. Uh, I mean. Oh, another one. I got to say oh, this. Oh, tell me, like, tell me. And I put it on Facebook. I almost put this one on Facebook, but I didn't. Which was just a little story about like a sort of dialogue. <laughs> I just went, um, does great gig for promoter. Uh, calls promoter up a week later. Promoter says he's lost notes from the gig, which you stormed. Will you come and work for free? Oh. <laughs> you say no. <laughs> promoter says, okay, send me a video. Sends promoter video. In the interim, promoter says they've seen you doing badly in a club at two in the morning where everyone died. <laughs> Will you come and work for free? No, we'll promoter no. fuck off. And then I put it and I had so many like comments and people messaging me and about five people messaged me within 10 minutes going this promoter and I was like yeah that guy and he then sent me a long email but I didn't read it I just deleted it <laughs> oh a long email about the Facebook post yeah I just I thought well he knew it was him how can that he's that bad he knew immediately it was him Oh, man. I didn't even say it was him, but he knew it was him. He sent me a long email. I just deleted it. I'm terrible at it. If someone sends me a thing, I think, oh, Mark, it's just well, going to upset me. you just can't me. have that kind of stuff knocking around in your head, particularly if, as you do, can't forget it ever. Like, if no, you're going to store it in your grudge shelf. Such an elephant of grudges. Then you don't need forget. an extra grudge. You're just like, ugh. I just deleted it, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, it's an interesting one. My, f I have a friend in Australia who sent, who's been just collecting uh, the numbers of women to men in gigs in Melbourne and she wanted to put them up on Facebook just as the, like, the statistical reality and she couldn't bring herself to because she didn't want to lose work for it. And that's, you know, it, it's not, you're not accusing anyone of anything. She wasn't naming anyone. She was just saying, you know, in this club they had six women and 38 men over the month of November, you know? It's really interesting because um, 
You know Catherine Ryan doesn't play the comedy store? Yeah. <laughs> no, why does she not? Well, it's just for a booker, I think. Or she was like, when she got big, she just, ha- like, I, I don't think she's got time to go and do a five or something. Yeah. <laughs> Tiff said about this person, she was like, well, you know what you do, Amy? And I was like, what? She's like, when you're touring, you just don't play as venues. Fuck him. Don't make any money for him. And I was like, yeah, that's a good attitude to have. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good motivation not to quit. Anyway, I need to get big enough to call in all my vengeance. Yeah, I need to get big enough to, <laughs> to cuss me. That's not the right way to do business. No, it absolutely Just isn't. Just it's, um, but, I mean, the ma- it works for the mafia. So, But they, you know, they've got a strong business model. I hear they make money. Yeah, stop breaking knees, Amy. That's what you need to do. Oh, I'd love to break a few knees. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I'm very, very, very peaceable. Yeah. You made a face. What do you <laughs> do? You have violent urges? Oh no, not really. But sometimes you would like to punch people, wouldn't you? Is that just me? No, I don't think it is just. Sometimes you. I think you know what would sort you. Sometimes you meet someone, you think, if you'd been punched in the face more, I think you'd be a nicer person. Haha. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. People feeling their own vulnerability. No, I just mean you know some people they just need, you just think <laughs> you'd be slapped a bit more. <laughs> you'd be a nicer person. This is an awful thing. Uh, but it, yeah, I think for some people, uh, particularly some hecklers, you just think no one's ever like yeah. no one's ever made you feel any consequences for being an idiot. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting, isn't it? That's the thing I find out uh, with stand up is like um, when you have these tough moments. Because it's such a hard career. If there's anything going wrong in your life or your life is not going well, it's just really hard to... I suppose that's... I, c- I think you could say that of any career, but some but some jobs are just jobs to people and they have mm. quite a separate home life. But I think it's so visceral and emotional with stand-up. And, and you have to connect with the audience, which means a certain amount of you opening yourself up to them. Yeah, and you're friends with all the people that you sort of have to compete against in a way. I never thought about this till someone went, oh, it must be weird you have to compete with all your friends. I go, well, I suppose you do, but I'm not a sociopath, so I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. Well, also, I don't think it is competing. Yeah, I don't think it is. The because the better... I mean, you can't be on every night everywhere, and yeah. the more people out there are good, the better it is for everyone. Exactly. I mean, I guess in the upper, upper echelons, you can only have one woman on a panel. Like, yeah. on a panel show on television, that seems to be the rule. It's interestingly, it's like that for gay men as well. So uh, I've got a friend who's a gay comic and just started doing bits of TV. And he was on a panel show where the host was a gay com- comic. Oh, I think I can, I think I can name. I think people will know who it is. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's not a bad story or anything. But they were being a bit funny about having, you know, two gays on the panel. It's like we're, not, we're different people just because yeah. we have the same sexual orientation. And he really fought for it and he got on. He was like, no. I'm, uh, you know, just I am two gays. my own. Yeah, this is not the only thing that defines me. Which Could I think have more is more than one, one gay on the panel. One of the problems of identity politics is that is that you're like, well, that's actually not my identity. It's part of my identity, but it's not the only part of my identity. Do you know? I think the left has got so focused on identity politics that they've just lost sense of the bigger picture, and I think the left is just sailing adrift, debating about just gender norms which is important but it's not as important as the really big things that are going on well because then you're dealing with mainly sort of personal insults rather than structural problems 
if everyone has equal power in a society, then it doesn't matter what you call someone else. Exactly. It, you, the, then the insult is... Oh, that's very well put. I just well, think... Well done, Alice. Very so it's a much harder problem to fix. I'll say half ideas, can then you finish them off and put them in a good sentence. <laughs> All right, that's Great. a podcast Deal. in itself. Let's do that. Okay, Call cool. it Half Baked with Amy and Alice. Um, and then we eat food uh, in I'm it. I'm thinking of doing a podcast, and I don't know whether the title for it is offensive. Tell me what the title is, and I'll tell you if it's offensive. The Bechamel Test. <laughs> I like that. So it's me talking to like an incredible woman about something she's done and getting some tips from her. Yeah. I quite liked her. I'm always like, have you done that thing? How are you so amazing? Yeah. You know? I think that's a great idea for a podcast. But it's very, it's a very in joke, isn't it? No. No, I think everyone's <laughs> heard of the Bechdel test. And if they ha- haven't, then they're not worth having as an audience member anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So there was this um, famous UK comedian, actually, who I won't name because I don't know if he still holds this position. But he said... Like, there's heaps of diversity in white men. You know, stop shouting about diversity. There's, like, really diverse white male comics. And and my response to that is yes, but there's also uh, really diverse everything else. Like, you and I would not be the same, offering the same thing on a panel, even though we're sort of the same age and sort of the same demographic. Like, the, 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 the fear of having two gay men on a panel because they're the same thing. Both talking about cocks and bums. But it is also, that's also Which one of the problems of identity politics is because you've said, you know, by saying this is my identity, then you've sort of left white men to be a blank slate, allowed them to become the default. So then they can be diverse within themselves, but we can't. Yeah. I think... I don't know if that holds. I think it's... I might have to re-examine that yeah. thinking, but... I think, and I'm in a m- more and more. I think this, the little sort of snowflake culture that we've got. We're all a little important snowflake. Yeah. I think we're really seeing how that's panning out for humanity, but the, and it's not really panning out that well. The idea of like duty and responsibility to your community and to your family that's gone now. Very individualistic. I think when you, I think when you lose that, you actually it actually gets replaced with some sort of weird form of right-wing nationalism. When because people want loyalty, people want a sense of purpose. Yeah. And in the absence of a sort of a, of anything else, they'll go for these big flag-wavy ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is an interesting one. I think one of the problems with uh, what you call the kind of snowflake culture is I mean it is good but it's gone too far I well, but pers- personal Columbus empowerment films. is not whole uh, whole in and of itself like with rights have mm. always come responsibilities oh superhero qu- quotes yeah but you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. With, with great power comes great responsibility with any power comes some responsibility yeah and people have not been thinking about the res- a lot of people have not been thinking about the responsibilities that come with having some power or having some say in society and, and re- recognising and acknowledging where you have power means being responsible for that power. So you get these things like internet groups where people get howled down and kicked out on the argument that, you know, in wider society you oppress us. But that doesn't make that little bully circle any less of a shit misuse of power. Who's got, who's got time for that? Yeah. It was this great... Um 
horror film that they did a few years ago. And it was all like six cameras and they were all online. All these kids talking to each other online. And it was all filmed like that. And things were happening to them. Like they were like one would die or something as they were all talking to each other. Like there was someone coming around and killing them. And the whole point is that all the way through the film, you're going, just log off. Yeah. Turn off. But they didn't. And that was like quite a strong message, which is just remove yourself from that and don't participate. I don't know. It's a very, it's a very weird time we're living in. I wouldn't be surprised if everyone in the future really moved away from the internet and it became, the internet was like a thing that everyone was plugged into for a few years and then that everyone went, what am I doing? Like smoking, and they gave it up. Well, yeah, we're not really building anything. Like, we're not building any bridges or roads or Yeah, but there's a really um, interesting quote, is that never has a generation documented so much but done so little. (laughs) And I think that really... Well, there's a lot of things that are being built in the internet, but they're mainly decoration. They're mainly, um, like, they're mainly flourishes on what already exists. I mean, apart from, you know, something as simple as programming and then you have someone who programs how to build something and then it's just built mass production in a factory. Yeah. And that's just one person building a computer program. But that's more computer science than the internet. But I don't know. I I think about this a lot, actually. I hate being online. I hate it. If I wasn't a comedian, I wouldn't... I don't think I'd have a... I don't think I'd have social media. I I probably wouldn't either. I you I know in Germany you have a right to be forgotten, so you can you can remove yourself from the internet and demand. Oh, so many jokes about that. Jesus, of course the Germans want a right uh, to be forgotten. Come on. Oh, <laughs> oh, we all have a right to be forgotten, guys. Really? Why? What do you want us to forget? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're doing quite well now, Germany. It's weird to me psychologically that Germany is sort of weirdly the moral leader of Europe these if days. It wasn't for oh, I love Angela Merkel. She's such a badass. She's pretty such good. Such a badass in a pantsuit. Oh, she's so cool. The thing I I can remember just tearing up listening to a speech of hers that she gave about eighteen months ago during. The, the height of the migrant crisis. Yeah. And she just said, oh, you know, it is the core of Christian values to help people who are in need who are struggling, to help your fellow man. It's one of the things that sets humanity apart from wild beasts is that we help each other. We absolutely must help our fellow man in need. I was like, why is she the only fucking person saying this? Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, why is she? I mean, that's, that's, I don't know. That I don't think this is a fully strong analogy, but... You can understand why someone, any single person, doesn't just pick a homeless person off the street and take them home. Yeah. And I think people think like that. I think that's the way that people think about migrants. They think, oh, they're smelly and they're dirty and they might be dangerous and steal my stuff. Oh, let someone else deal with them. Like, I, th- I, d- I think it's almost as simple as that. It's not quite a, a yeah. right, but I think that's a decent analogy for the way that people think about it. But, if you you wouldn't get from A to B if you stopped and tried to help everyone who was having a bad bad do in London, you just wouldn't be able to get from A to B. The thing that I've noticed is it's got a lot worse the last couple of years. Like the homelessness in London, there's so many more people on the street. And when we lived in New York, I couldn't get over like how the state of the homeless people, like they were bums. They looked all they all looked like close to death. Yeah. And you would smell them before you saw them. And I just, you know, there's obviously there's some level of care 
for people in, who are homeless in London. It's quite good. It's getting, well, it's just terrible. No one should be homeless. But I just can't. I remember when I was in New York, I saw the first middle-class homeless people I'd seen. So they were under a sort of set of scaffolding and they had like a little, they had a whole setup, like a little carpet and a little, you know, couch area. And it was sort of so, there was so much care in it. And I thought, oh, these are people who have had a life. It was sort of relatively soon after the whole GFC and housing crisis. That was the first time. But also in America, in New York particularly, you would see all these people who were a bit off. Like they'd be blind in one eye or they'd have some lump on them or they'd be limpy. And in Australia, you just don't see that. And I mean, there were just so many more than in Australia. And I thought, oh, it's because you can't just you go to the doctor. What was I reading about this? I was reading a short story with a vampire in it. And he's been around, he'd been around for ages. And he was just talking about how, how you know, a couple hundred years ago, you just would see people with a big thing on their face walking down the street. Loads of big face cancers and just don't see that anymore. <laughs> Well, you don't, do you? I mean, but I mean, in New York, you do. You see people who just had a thing that they didn't get fixed because you don't have health care. You know, it's nuts, isn't it? It's madness. Yeah, There's a, really a woman in Adelaide who got the AMP Tomorrow Fund grant that I got the same thing, and what's she's what's AMP? It's a bank. Um, so they do a grant to make themselves feel better about whatever else they're doing. Um, I'm sure they're wonderful. Um, and uh, she is starting a podiatry clinic for homeless people in Adelaide. So, like, massage and podiatry and physiotherapy, because apparently homeless people have real problems with their feet and also sleeping rough, you know, does not great things for your back. And so she's starting this kind of free clinic for homeless people, and she's got this grant to put money into all sorts of things, like advertising it, and the student, students go and do it, and... They get to work with the homeless people and they have other services there that make it easier, like showers, so that you're not yeah. dealing, you know, not asking the students to deal with really upsetting stuff. But Oh, God. I think that's an amazing service. It is an incredible service. Because you can give someone a lukewarm sausage, but what they want is a massage. What they want is a foot rub. That's what they need. I'm, a, I'm volunteering at a homeless shelter on Christmas Day. Ah, oh, that's Sobernevs. Sobernevs. No, me and my friends are doing it. I just, anything to get out of a family Christmas. Do you know what I mean? That's, when you go, oh, I'm just being like really benevolent, guys. They can't really give you shit. That's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> UK Christmas is really claustrophobic. What do you mean by that? Like, I'm, I think I agree with you, but. Well, you're all sort of in the same house all day, in the for same days room. On yeah, end, for days and eating. days. Watching shit TV, in like sort of all the windows are shut and you're just in a fog of, of each other. Do you know what? I saw an advert for Sherlock and I thought that is the only thing I'm looking forward to this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in Australia, you sort of get up and you go for a swim, and, you, and then you have lunch, and then you might go out to the park to play cricket, or you might go white wine in the sun. Yeah, well isn't that a song or a yeah, it's a Tim Minchin song. That oh. Yeah, so then there's sort of a lot of running around and then you might go see a movie later, but there's a lot of movement between... Pla- you go to one person's place and then to another person's place and jump on the trampoline and there's a lot of... Yeah. It's much less enclosed. Which just I guess like is just a weather thing, but... <laughs> there's some people, like, they, they, like, do... Well, it's that the classic argument, isn't it? Like, who you spend Christmas with and stuff. Like, my boyfriend's going back to Ireland and the, he's one of four... 
and they're all summoned back to Ireland every Christmas and they go and spend it with their parents. But I'm like, what happens when, if you have a family or, you know, or your girlfriend doesn't want to go Yeah, to doesn't want to go to Ireland, for one Christmas, or do you get to, and he's like, oh, no, well, it's never come off. <laughs> They've all not got married yet. <laughs> well, I mean, if their if their mum's holding the reins that tightly, maybe they won't. I think she maybe probably is a little. I don't know. She's very nice. I met I met them. It's like being in an episode of Father Ted. So Irish. Oh, you were there when I did my joke about it, were you? No, no. I hit the wall <laughs> so badly. I did uh, old rope on Monday, and it was the day that I landed, and I was so jet lagged. Yeah, they. Well, I was like, are they going to be happy to meet me? And he's like, oh Jesus, yes. And I was like, well, have they not met a girlfriend before? He's like, they've met one girlfriend once. And they've not met another in 10 years. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, um, when they met her, she was a little bit black. And they weren't expecting it. <laughs> it's really traumatizing for them. Oh, no, because it's such a monoculture there. Yeah. They just don't meet different people. They were, like, calling up and worried about... No, it's like total xenophobia and racism. Like, oh. you know, the Irish are a bit funny like that and uh, they were calling him up going you know what's it going to be like when you come back to Galway and <laughs> you, and he's there going I am never coming back to Galway and living there and having children I think they eventually figured that out <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny it's funny how sometimes the most uh, apparently liberal people when it comes home to them just won't yeah just won't be I, I have a friend who started dating a guy who was uh, from South Africa, and her family were not okay with it. And they are, you know, university-educated, left-leaning. Was he a white South African? He was not a white South African. I mean, I think I'd be, you know, most people would be fine with a, better with a black South African than the white yeah, South African, I would, do you I think? would have thought so, like, you in think, terms oh, of... You can't help it. You meet a South African, you think, oh, you're racist, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you can't help it, can you? You can't, you can't help it at all. I, I mean, you know, you can try to help it. I mean, we, I think that's one of the things that, that we don't really acknowledge is that we all have those prejudices. And then the only thing that you can do is try and keep the lid on them open. But the funny thing about prejudices or... Um, because everyone makes snap judgments in the day and snap judgments have a purpose and they are to keep you alive and keep you safe. And to stop you wasting your time. Yes, exactly. So that's why we have them. But we're not always correct. And some that are programmed into us obviously by society are just bollocks. And some so. of them are statistically correct but may not be correct in any particularly given situation. Yeah. I just realised that cake on my face. Has that been there the whole time, mate? I, w I didn't even <laughs> notice. <laughs> so with this podcast, it's just normally just people talk... You talk about what's all going on wrong with the world. Ooh, uh, yeah, usually. I mean, it's, it's things that people find difficult or they're thinking, they're not sure what they think about it or they're struggling with their ideas on something. Oh, okay. I've got an idea for my next show. Oh, yes? Um, I'm thinking of calling it Dust Yourself Off, as in like the Aaliyah saying, dust yourself off and try again, <laughs> like that one. Yeah. And all about sort of things that we've been talking about and just keep going. But Resilience. Resilience. Grit. And I've got. So I'm, I'm not sure if I should say this on the podcast, but if I'm going to do a show if about it, I can cut it out if you don't like it. Well, we'll just see how it comes out. I, um, I think someone in my family has a mental health issue, an undiagnosed mental health issue. Uh huh. And uh, and it's it's obviously been very difficult to grow up with that. 
but it's also hysterical. <laughs> so I I was working as a project manager part-time in a mental health hospital before I stopped working like a year ago. And I had to deal with people with borderline personality disorder. What is borderline personality well, disorder for the listener? you get five different types of it, but the... The main tenet of it is that people just can't control their emotional, they can't control their emotional responses to things. Oh, people can be heavily narcissistic. They don't really see the reality of some situations. They're dicks. That's hilarious, you can't say that. Not allowed to say it, but the, the behavior manifests as dickish in quality. The behavior manifests as them being real dickheads sometimes. And, um, I had over the. I was dealing with these people because we had to. We had to have contact with the uh, clients to install services in their wards. I was dealing with these people, and someone commented. They were like, "Oh, you guys handle this really well." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh yeah, it's just like dealing with my oh." And someone had suggested to me that this person in my life, five people, two of them healthcare professionals, one of them who had worked with her. <laughs> had said to me, I think this person has got borderline personality disorder. See, now that is very interesting. Isn't it? Isn't it just... And then what's your kind of responsibility in that situation? Well, I don't know. I'm just thinking about... I was talking to my friend, Rachel Wheely, who's a sort of up-and-coming comic and just all-round winner. (laughs) And I told her a story, and she just burst out laughing. And she was like, this is hysterical. And I'm like, this is funny. So... I think that's quite a good way into it, which is this person might have a mental health problem that's been really difficult, but is she is actually really funny as well. Yeah. <laughs> like with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in the olden days, people would just, you just that had weird people. That was just their people. personality. You just had, like and now we've sort of pathologized everything. But then if they're functional, should you try and fix them? But if they're a dick, like, is I there a cure for being a dick? I think this person ruins a lot of their relationships and friendships mm-hmm. because they might have BPD. They, they might not have it, but they definitely they have it. But, I mean, that's an interesting thing where the two options are either you have a serious mental illness that needs treatment or you're just a dick. Like, what if you come out of that thing going, well, they say there's nothing wrong with me. And you're like, oh, that's just your personality. Oh, you're just a bad <laughs> My friend, uh, my best friend, Rhiannon, she worked... Uh, she's a social worker, sort of OT, and she worked in a centre for people with borderline personality disorder, and she suggested to me that this person has BPD as well. And uh, it's interesting, it's, re- it's a really new disorder, psych- psychologically, mm. and they've decided to set up the NHS, these BPD centre, treatment centres, day centres, where people who have this can drop in. Because it's one of the most treatable things, actually. Oh, really? That's what was going to be my next question, because it seems like something that's sort of quite tied to someone's personality. Well, it's very treatable, but it's also very expensive for the NHS, because a lot of these people, like, they present a lot in uh, A&E, where they've hurt themselves, they've got really drunk, or they present a lot, so they cost them loads of money over a lifetime, when actually, well, it'd be cheaper to just get them some therapy. Deal with the root, yeah, root yeah, issue. Get them some CBT and deal, and they probably, you, could, you can make a recovery from it. That's a Girl Interrupted, that film with Winona Ryder. She's got borderline personality disorder. It's what she gets diagnosed with. And then she makes a full recovery with treatment. 
they diagnose with that at the end. It's in the closing sort of monologue that she does. Oh, that's really interesting. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I can see how you could make that funny. I can also see how it could be dangerous turf, yeah, which is I where you want to be. Well, how do I deal with this? I think it's maybe it's not a whole show. Maybe it's like a sort of thread through the show. But it's very, I mean, it's a horrible thing to go and say on stage, talk about someone in your family who you think has a mental health problem, unless they have it and it's diagnosed, you know? Yeah. It's not very... I don't, I'm not sure what the morality is around what that. What your responsibility is. What if you mm. make it about someone else? I mean, you can fictionally distance yourself from it in some way, make it a boyfriend. I don't think it'll be as funny. I think it's funnier the, the, if they are who they are. Yeah. I think it would lose some of its relevance. See, yeah, uh, I came up against this with Savage, which was about my mum, and my brother wasn't comfortable with the show. What was... I So I didn't get to see your show. What was... Uh, Savage was about my mum uh, and her uh, terminal illness, her MS and then cancer. Um, and, you know, that is... The, the way that I told that story was a very thin line through the story, but it is, um, it's also not necessarily all my story. You know, it's not my story yeah. to tell, or is it? So that's, that was the, the thing. But it's, I suppose it, it is your, it is your story to tell, but... The way I, I came down was, you know, if you keep it to your experience, yeah, then it's... It's something. It depends. I and think if you're speculating about someone else's health, then you might want to ask, run it past them. Can Can I ask when that happens? Is your mum still around, or no. she's no, she's not? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Must be. Well, I, so we can cut this out. But I think my mum has borderline personality disorder. That's who it is. Ah. So, and we're estranged. So ah well then you can talk about it if you're estranged you can talk about it. But I don't want to be cruel. Will she see the show? No, I don't think so. Would it get back to her? I think she does follow my stuff online. I think she does keep tabs. Do you have a stepmom? No, I don't have a stepmom. Could you make it your stepmom? Fictionally, that works. But my, like dad's, I, my dad's got a new girlfriend. She's very lovely. Ah, uh, your ex stepmom? Yeah, maybe. Maybe I could just tell her I'm doing it. I mean, there's a lot of archetypes that say archetypes that do that. But it's interesting the way I think. That one of the things I reflect on, and my, my friend Lucy Frederick did a show about this because her mum died when she was qu quite young of cancer, and she her dad's not around. Um, her dad called her, it's in the show, called her on the day of her mum's funeral to say something like, I just wanted to let you know that um, I don't have a, as much money as your mum probably told you I did. Something along those lines. So, you know, quite, quite a piece of work, I think. But, you know, the thing that she struggles with is when you don't have a mum, that person who goes, you know, you're just my, I love you unconditionally. That's a real hard thing to take through life, isn't it? Because you've got to have so much s just strength yeah. for yourself. Because you just don't have that maternal safety net. Yeah. Yeah, it, it throws up weird stuff. It definitely, definitely cutting does. this out. Yeah. 
He's definitely can. <laughs> I think this is probably the most interesting thing. It probably is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it throws up some weird stuff. My mum was sick my whole life, so. Uh, yeah, there's, there's. It's a weird, it's a weird feeling to not know. I mean, she was very strong in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could really calculate those ways until they were gone. Yeah. The fact that she was just, like, she, didn't, she couldn't do things, mum things. She couldn't, like, make you lunch or anything or, or help you with stuff. Yeah. But she just cared. Yeah. You know? She was there. Yeah. She's present. Yeah, she just, she just loved you. Like, I talked, I talked about it in Savage. Um, there's a line in that show where I went and did a TED talk, and she was at that time. She was in the palliative care ward, and I went in. I said, "I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to come visit you this afternoon because usually I'd go in the morning and the afternoon. Um, I'm going to go do a TEDx talk." And she said, "Oh, darling, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. What's a TEDx talk?" <laughs> <laughs> she was just, you know, like so lovely. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! So that was kind of yeah. She was like that, mum. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. See, I the thing I think I will put in my show is um, now I'm in this good, nice relationship with someone. Is I've really had to teach myself normal behaviour. I think I spent my whole twenties doing that. And like my boyfriend is super normal and kind and nice, and um, and that's just really lovely. Yeah, I've never really had that before. I've never really had. Yeah, you don't know what normal is, and it's then you meet it. His love doesn't come with uh, demands. Yeah, his love doesn't come with footnotes <laughs> or, or conditions. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's a really good idea for a show to talk about about what love means and what you know, family and all yeah. of that stuff. So I think I'm thinking of doing it about that. I think it would be, but I'll have to tell them we can't break up in between now and next Edinburgh because it'll just like ruin the show. Yeah, we can get engaged or something. Like you can do that. Yeah, you can do that <laughs> if, you, if you if you really want to. We could we could give me a happy ending, baby. Um, it's yeah. important for the show that you ask me to marry you. I think. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It'd be great for PR. Just cut, just before. <laughs> yeah, just before Edinburgh. Like, do it. Um, no, I think, I think that's a really interesting idea that there are certain kinds of love that are really foundational to your personality. Uh, yeah. I have a friend who's a psychologist who was talking about this with that kind of like family stuff. Yeah. She said women are quite good at not passing it on. You know what? I am. This is one of my biggest fears: is uh, being, if I had children, it's like being a shit mum because I had a shit mum. Well, you know, she she, what, she just did the she did the best with what she could. She did the best with what she had. But I think that's the biggest tragedy. So, what if you do your best for someone and you do and you do better than your parents did for you, and it's still not good enough? Yeah. Like that's such a big failure, isn't it? I think that's the, that is the tragedy of like estrangement, which is like they probably did the best and they probably did better than what was done for them, but it was 
they weren't good enough. They failed. Yeah. Intrinsically, they as a person failed at the just the one thing that you're meant to do right. Yeah. Is be a good parent. Yeah, and and the one thing that the kind of the only thing you really need to do yeah is love them yeah and just not yeah like there's you can be a rich parent or a poor parent or a uh, crippled parent yeah and your kids will turn out all right if they know and feel safe if they have your time yeah if they feel safe in the in the love that you have for them which is why you know super wealthy parents can be shit parents because That's they why so many rich kids love. are in yeah. <laughs> rehab. Yeah, and and it can happen to poor parents, poor kids as well. But it's sort of there's nothing really that correlates as much as, or like in my observation, as much as just caring. Yeah, it's interesting. I've done bits of nannying over the years as I've been trying to. You see, you know, when you edge away from corporate life and you go part time, and then you sort of do bits of freelance stuff. Yeah. So I've uh, done bits of nannying. And it's really interesting seeing people's children and how they're brought up. Different ones. Yeah. I recently quit something with, I was doing this little gig, like one or two days a week, just a bit of cash in hand. Yeah. But they were just so, I had to restrain one of the children from punching me. What? <laughs> Who'd almost been expelled that week. And then I think that week, two of the nannies quit. When I first kept, I was like, why do they have like almost a nanny for every day of the week? And then I realized because no one would be able to cope with them every single day they just seem quick because they're so awful but that's the other thing if they have no kind of consistency in the people who they're around then yeah I'm quite I'm quite strict nanny I was like no means no I was always like super nannying them down the eye level and just being like you have to go upstairs you have to and come back down and you've calmed down they just couldn't cope with it they slow the, the sad thing about it is they, they were slowly getting better behaved but then I just thought, this is too stressful. I can't do this. this. They're awful. I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, and I'm sure they're going to grow up to be, you know, quite strangely behaved. One of them's going to end up in prison. Children. Definitely. You know, when you meet children, you're like, you, you and Will. <laughs> One of you's going to end up in prison. Well, I mean, prison. That's, a, that's a relief that to a certain extent, I think, you know, you can be a good parent and still end up with a bad kid. I don't think they were good parents. <laughs> no, she just, you know, every, everything they did wrong it was someone else's fault like they were being bullied at school and I just felt like saying to her personal responsibility no I, the eldest was being bullied really badly and I felt like saying if you're if he talks to other children the way he talks to me I'm not surprised he's being bullied and do you know what it's probably good for him you know he's not a little snowflake most of the nice and interesting people I know were bullied at school yeah it's so funny isn't it just if anyone who's a bit different I don't think I was bullied. I can't, I do, I, if I was, I can't remember. You'd remember. You'd put it on your grudge shelf. I would, wouldn't I? No, I wasn't. Maybe it's was too thick-skinned or terrifying. I can remember having a fight once. Were you a bully? No, I think I was a people pleaser. Ah. I think I was funny, so people were like, yeah, all right, yeah, all right, yeah, Amy, yeah. Ooh, you dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in secondary school, I started doing... I was like in the comedies, in the plays, in the school plays as like a lead comedy part. So I think that kind that of gives you some status and protection. Yeah, or I think so. I think that's probably what it was. So where can people find you online? 
Oh, this has been a long and in-depth chat, hasn't it? It has. I'll edit out the bits that you want edited out, by the way. You can you can just put, put in what you think will make a good podcast. All right. Thank you. I will. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm at com or I'm at Haverska on Twitter. Haverska spelt with a W. Oh. Yeah, that's where I am. The um, second V is uh, silent. It's a H-O... Get a pen. H-O-W-E-R-S for sugar, K-A... Yep. I'm on that. There we go. There's only, there's only one. She's very funny. Look her up on the YouTube. On the Hit YouTube. her up on Twitter. You're having tea with Alice. Yay! Thank you. Loudly rifles all, loudly rifles all day.